Hello and welcome to podcast number 15. This is an unscheduled extra podcast. We haven't planned to do this today, but Richard walked into the office this morning huffing and puffing in a right mood and had a real rant and I thought that was too good an opportunity to not try and record some of it for the benefit of our listeners out there. Right, yes, I am in a bad mood, but... I'm also supposed to be on holiday after doing my release, so I'm in an even worse mood now that you're making me do a podcast, so I'm going to sit here and say nothing. Well, we'll see how long that lasts, won't we? Anyway, welcome, I'm Matt, that was Richard, who's now sitting here growling at me, and welcome to our latest podcast, and... I guess we should start then with what you were just saying, Richard, which is that we have just released a course. I'm using the royal we there. No so what have we released? <laughs> Spark SQL. And that's now live on the Virtual Programmers website. It's a follow-on to Module 1, which covered... Spark RDD. <laughs> This is going to be hard work, <laughs> Richard, for me if you don't contribute a bit more. Um, so, yeah, so it's Spark RDD. So I co-wrote this course, actually, so I will talk about it if you won't. But tell us a bit about uh, Spark SQL and what it's used for, what are its great selling points, all that kind of stuff, or don't. Well, everybody now says, oh, nobody uses Spark RDD. Everybody uses Spark SQL <laughs> and... Um, there's a there's a sense um, if you read a few places, um, you'll you'll see people saying, "Oh, Spark RDD is deprecated and it's not to be used anymore." This sort of thing winds me up. I was going to say but, you're saying this very calmly, given yeah. this is what part of I your don't, app is about. I'll, I'll build up, I'll build up into something <laughs> a bit later on, but I should back off a little bit because um, we'll, we'll make Spark the overall topic. I think of the podcast. That's going to be the main technical thing we talk about. So if if anybody's not done Spark before, the sort of two there's actually more which we'll talk about later. But there's two main programming models the spark rdd that we covered in the in the in the module released in february that's the one that people say is the older way of working that's much more like you might have worked in hadoop or much easier than working in hadoop it's a higher you think in terms of map reducers still much better model than hadoop it's much less rigid and you can chain jobs together but you're still you're still doing kind of low level processing of data yeah, I'd say actually that it's more, the mindset is more of um, a bit like a typical Java collection and manipulating mm. a collection when you're working with yeah. RDD. So it's a much easier way to get started. Than Hadoop. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a million times easier. And you don't have that massive overhead you have in Hadoop of having to set everything up. It's a much quicker process to start yeah. actually coding yeah. as well. It's so, just a Java program. <clears throat> yes. You've just got one. One uh, dependency, well, a couple of dependencies and a POM. It's, yes. it's so easy to get started. It's ridiculous. Yes. And Java, So Java RDD, but it is still, you know, most of what you do in that is going to be a map or a reduce or a... Yes. You know, there, there's operations like sorts and things, but it's still, you you have to do, you have to do a lot of, a lot of low level crunching. Whereas with the SQL programming model... Um, and, you know, the, the first misconception is it's not about databases. It's saying you can use an SQL style syntax to yes. mine your data. And the data when you're working in SQL is more likely to be structured data. So some kind of column type format of input data rather than just raw strings or whatever. Yes. Um, but the, the, one of the key points we make on this second module is 
when you're working in Spark SQL, you can think much more like a data scientist, think much less about Java code. And we actually do a great comparison on the course where, you know, we work quite hard on a particular SQL statement. Um, we've got a lot of value from that SQL statement. It's one line of code, really. We, I, I, I don't get the, the viewers to do this, but I've done off camera. I've implemented the same job in RDDs. Right. And you've got 100 lines of code compared to the... That's unfair, actually. A lot of that is just helper code. But, you know, you have probably, I would say, about 30 lines of code compared to the one line of code in the SQL. Now, I'm not claiming... Um, this got lost in the edit, unfortunately, but sort of the point I was making, I, I wrote that RDD version like eight in the morning, just rolled out of bed. I was in a bad mood and just knocked it out. It wasn't like, I'm sure you could polish it and tailor it and reduce it down to fewer lines of code. But I was sort of trying to make the point. I don't, you know, I've got a job to do. I've got to get this out quickly. Would I do it with that 35 lines of code that I'm not quite sure is it elegant compared to the one line of SQL that did the same job. So it's all about that higher level of thinking, and it is so elegant, Spark SQL. But that's interesting, because I previously done, actually just as a comparison, it was for a talk I gave, where I looked at different ways of achieving the same thing. One being writing SQL that would run within a database, yeah. one being writing it as Spark code, uh, and I think that must have been as using Java, not within the Spark sort of framework. Mm -hmm. But the SQL approach, and this wasn't Spark SQL, then this is just SQL. Mm -hmm. Yes, was very neat and elegant. It was a, you know, effectively one statement. Mm -hmm. But the process to write it took a long time because there's a lot of trial and error to get it right. Yeah. And when you look at it three months later, I have no idea what's going on. It's completely unmaintainable. The SQL version. The SQL okay. version. So is, would that same concept still be, you know, would you be able to look at the Spark SQL and say would, that's as easy to maintain? I would hope so. I mean, the whole point of SQL is supposed to be, a, 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 is it fourth generation language? I, I lost track. <laughs> fourth know. generation, yeah. I think. Um I mean, I don't explain this properly on the course, I don't think, but I, I make the point that SQL is a declarative. Like, it, it's actually a mix of declarative and, and, and you know, there are procedural elements in SQL. But certainly the SQL you do in Spark is yes. declarative. Yes. You are saying to an engine, these are the results I want. Go off and do it. And the engine has to work out what lines of code to generate. That's yes. what SQL is always doing. And we, we, we look at query plans in detail and all that on the course. Um, so the idea should be that it, it's like an English statement, SQL. So I would argue it's supposed to be. I mean, I don't know how complex. I imagine I, you're I, doing something pretty. Well, yes, there, there was some comp In order to be able to get to the end result, I think we had to create a couple of temporary tables, yeah. sort of in memory tables. And I seem to remember there was mm. some rather horrible sort of group buys and where's and havings mm. and all this kind of stuff built in. Um, and you reckon your RDD version was easier to... It was certainly... In that one example, yeah, it was okay. it, it was certainly easier to maintain because it was multiple statements. So it was clear what each statement. So, but I guess go back to that bit you said right at the start, <clears> which is that you know people say RDDs are deprecated. No one's. You're using trying them. to wind me up, aren't you? You're well, trying to get me angry again. But I've turned all professional and, and <laughs> slick in front of the microphone. Uh, yeah, well, I will I will get there. But the 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 well, I think what we've just identified there actually is that 
you've you've got two in spot. You've got two completely different models that ultimately lead to the same thing. Whether you're working in SQL or in the spot core, yes, you're using our RDDs of the end results. Yes, because the the SQL the SQL objects, if you like, are an abstraction mm-hmm. of RDDs. What happens is a code generator. We, we look in a little bit of detail of what's happening under the hood in this regard. A code generator works from the SQL, <clears throat> excuse me, and writes on the fly Java code that is the same Java code you would have. It's not sorry, not the same Java code you would have written, but it is the same sorts of things. It actually turns into a large series of map operations on RDDs. It is the same. Yeah, it's the same thing, just a different way into it. And the and the joy of that is, I guess it depends whether you're a data scientist or a programmer or a mix of the two or whatever. You can use whichever model is is best for your job. And certainly in the example on the course, SQL was by far the best in my opinion. But yes, you've you can always you. I think if you if you're working with unstructured data, you've got a large series of strings or words to count, for instance, then. RDD is probably the best choice. You've got both available. Yes, and and this structured versus unstructured. I mean, sort of the. I want to get to this point about why it's not true to say no one uses RDDs mm. because obviously people do, and of course you can use. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't have figures for how many programming projects. So I'll tell. I'll tell you where I think this has come from. Okay. Um, in the Spark ML module, which you're currently working on a on a on a training course on that, on the Spark ML module. Just for the benefit, ML standing for machine learning. Yeah. yeah. Now, traditionally, you worked in Spark ML using our raw RDDs. Yes. And recently, I don't know when, have you got a handle on? Uh, it's within the last year, I think. Right. They have decided not to support that model anymore. And so they have deprecated RDD as a programming model in Spark ML. So, yeah, so, and actually, to be a bit more precise, there are two packages where all the uh, different functions sit within Spark Machine Learning called Spark ML and Spark MLib. Mm-hmm. And it's the one of those packages is uses RDDs, the other one uses Spark SQL. And it's, and it's the RDD mode. bit, which is now in maintenance mode, and they have said may not be supported in the future. Exactly. So, it is just machine learning. Exactly. And so, I think people have heard that. Yes. And now it's all, oh, nobody used, oh, no, you wouldn't yes. switch RDDs anymore. So, but I don't know how, because well, you never get figures on this. Uh, you know, it could it could be anything. It could be, it could indeed be everybody's using Spark SQL, but that will be to miss the point. I can guarantee you if, if I had started my Spark journey by learning Spark SQL, I wouldn't have a clue what was going on at any stage. And, you know, maybe I could get away with that. Well, but the, but the critical <clears throat> thing that is almost impossible to do with Spark SQL, unless you tell me you've worked out how to do it and it's on this course, is optimization. Because you get so much detail on the execution plan when you work with RDDs mm-hmm. that if you've got a slow-running job, you can really pinpoint and find opportunities yeah. to improve And it. it's probably because... So you, you get the DAG, you get this beautiful graphical chart showing you every every step in the process and everywhere where there's an expensive operation, a new column appears. So you yes. can see where the expense... 
trying to avoid the, you know, just for people who haven't done any spark, but where there's a shuffle, you can see that. Um, but that's very easy to do because basically every, every line of, every operation you perform in Spark RDD, it can just put that on the graph. Yes. You've done it all. So it's obvious. The problem when working in Spark SQL is all of those, basically at every step in a stage, so everything that doesn't result in a shuffle is all combined together and it runs through a code generator, the whole stage code gen. And that is just mind-blowingly complicated and you can't see any of those steps. Yes. So if you write an SQL statement with a group by clause, you'll just get a blob, basically. But I would argue that sort of, you don't need to look into that. You have to take on faith that those steps, bear in mind there's no shuffle in there anyway. Yes. That, um, well, it's just a load of maps that have been combined together, really. You but, don't know or care what's going on. No, but the problem is that you might have one, let's call it SQL statement, which generates two or three shuffles, and you don't know. You'd see the shuffles. The but, shuffles would yes. be clear. They wouldn't be whole stage code gen doesn't. But you don't know why those shuffles are necessarily having to happen. That's true. It's harder. It's harder to tell. So we have got a great example, I think, on this course. I'm I'm pleased with this. I, I hope our competition doesn't have anything as good as this, really, but. Um, it's quite a simple statement. Don't get me wrong, and you know it's a training course, so we want we want to be clear. But we have all the way through the course. Because by the way, one thing we haven't mentioned <laughs> this is quite complicated, isn't it? Spark SQL itself has two programming models, <laughs> yes. and one of which is SQL. So actually, Spark SQL isn't really called Spark SQL, is it? It's called Spark SQL and the Data Frames API, yes. which also has another name. It's just a, an uh, incredibly it's a they've, mess. they've made a mess of the marketing of it, frankly. So you get people saying, oh, yeah, we use data frames. And, you know, there's no classical data frame in the API anymore. anymore it's yes. data set. <laughs> so unpicking that was a royal nightmare and making that clear. But you've got two programming models anyway in Spark SQL. They're actually the same thing. You can write code in Java that gets you these data frames but actually, all that's doing, it's still declarative Java is what I'm trying to say. You're not saying do a map, do this, do that. Yes. You're still just saying do a select, do a group by. It's just another way of writing the same syntax. Yes. So theoretically, all that should be happening is when you, you're using Java, uh, sorry, when you're using the SQL API, is that there's just going to be a step where it has to parse that SQL and convert it into data frame types. And I don't know if this is exactly how they do it, but, you know, conceptually, There'd be a, like, and I'm imagining that's a few milliseconds to do that. And then you've got to the same kind of Java that you would have written. But on the course, we observe that it's relatively simple. I'm just doing a log file and I'm counting, um, we're just counting how many errors, fatals and warnings there were by month. So right. easy. The SQL version was twice as slow. Really? I meant to say half the speed yes. of using the data frame API. Half the speed. Gosh. And that was replicable on a cluster as well. So it wasn't kind of like a, just because it's a development machine, there was a, uh, you know, startup time or something. So I, I had like a half hour job on a cluster, an hour using the SQL version. Fascinating. Yeah. And so you look on the, 
and so we we do this on the on the performance chat. So we look at the execution plan, and at first glance, it's it is it much 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 harder to understand than the RDD version. But we you wouldn't have stood a chance of understanding this had you not learned RDDs first, and that's what we're trying to get at. Yeah. So we're being told already that. Oh, I don't want to do the RDD. No, just straight to SQL. And I think that is a... It winds me up, really. So yes. the, the the problem we have with that course is basically the start of the module says, we're assuming you've done module one or you already know yes. Spark RDDs and people are complaining about it. Which is interesting. So go, going on to the machine learning bit... <laughs> In, in a production environment, I mean, in my background in IT was started off in banking, okay? And one of the things that they did, what we now call machine learning, it wasn't quite called that at this point, was for every loan that this bank had every single month, they wanted to calculate the probability that was a good or a bad customer, right? So a, a simple process that they were running a formula on a massive amount of data. And that, that's not the machine learning bit, right? Because they've got the formula. The machine learning bit is creating the formula. So the running it in production is exactly the sort of thing you'd want to use Spark for. Mm-hmm. You've got a algorithm you want to apply to millions of records and you want to run it reasonably quickly. <clears throat> Perfect <throat> use case for Spark. Mm. And that's the kind of thing would work well with RDDs or SQL mm-hmm. as your choice. And in fact, because the regulator had a requirement, they submitted information by a certain date every month. Actually, it was time critical. And I suspect if they were doing it now in Spark, they weren't using obviously Spark in those days. Mm-hmm. This is 15 years ago. Um, they might well say, right, criticality is everything in terms of timing. Mm-hmm. RDDs are certainly not slower than SQL. No, no. And you have more uh, ability to uh, optimize. Mm-hmm. They would start off, I am sure, building that as RDDs. Okay. Um, and this By the way, we do compare the performance of... So it's complicated. We're now talking yes. to, so we've got RDDs, we've got the SQL yes. syntax, and we've got data frames, frame which is the same as SQL. It's part of SQL. But yes. So we compare the performance of all three okay. and show them. So that's quite good fun. It, that's, I'm looking for, I haven't seen that yet. Well, I'm so never sure whether to that. give stuff away on the podcast. No, no don't, don't, spoil spoil it. don't spoil it. it for me. Well, I want to watch that. We should certainly say that, just in case anybody misquotes what I just said yes. there, the end results of the course yes. is that Spark SQL and data frames is no appreciable difference in performance. There was a reason for that. 50% slower. Right. And I would never have been able to spot that by looking at the code. Not right. in a million years would I know, duh, look what I've done there. Okay. I'd made, not a mistake as such, but it was an un, it was a suboptimal way of doing a query. Okay. And I think I would challenge anybody, look at that and say, how can I refactor it? The obvious refactorings all made no difference whatsoever. And it's only by explaining the query plan can you spot what the difference is, and that gives you a clue where to start. Right. Actually, there was there's no documentation, as far as I can see, anywhere on this topic. Interesting. I had to go to Postgres right. into their reference material. What's Postgres? PostgreSQL got to do with Apache Spark? Nothing. It's just they use a similar algorithm. So they documented this algorithm. So I was able to get the information from there and looking at the Scala, I think Scala and Java source code. That's how, so 
you know, we've gone quite cutting edge with yes. this and we go pretty deep and I hope it's all understandable and explained well. Um, I'm sure we'll get feedback on that. Yeah. But um, we, we got... So, God, yeah. I, I want to... If you don't mind, just go back to what I was, where I was trying to get to. Yeah, sorry, the, I digress. So you. RDDs are absolutely usable and being used in production environments yes. for the purposes of processing large amounts of data. Yes. So why have they turned off, if you like, or are turning off the use of RDDs for Spark SQL? And I believe the reason... For Spark ML. Is, sorry, for Spark ML, ML thank yes. you. And I believe the reason is, is that Spark ML, as once this course is released and people have watched it, they'll hopefully get, is a very different use case. It's actually... So machine learning is about coming up with that algorithm, that formula that you then want to apply to your large data. So although... You know, Spark is a great environment for doing machine learning, don't get me wrong. Actually, machine learning is not that sort of regular production job you're running time after time mm-hmm. over large amounts of data. Mm-hmm. Yep. Machine learning is a sort of an iterative but one-off process yes. that you may then run quarterly, half-yearly to check your algorithm yep. still valid. So it's not normally... Uh, sorry, or rather, let me get that sentence right. Normally, performance yes. is not your key thing. So, And so, presumably, they didn't want to maintain two separate programming models, so it's just exactly. easier for them to work. And, and it's easier to build using the SQL model. Yeah. And in actual fact, I don't see why you would ever want to look at the execution plan, because actually, how long it takes to run is not what's yeah. important. What's important is the yeah. validity of your outcomes. And definitely, I certainly wouldn't expect to no. see a chapter on performance on the Spark and, ML course. And there won't be think one. of it. There won't be one. Uh, actually, the, if the, the word performance is about the performance of your algorithm. Is yes, your algorithm of course. Yes, but yes, yes, Spark as an infrastructure is almost irrelevant. So, by the, sorry, by performing there, you mean giving the right answer, giving the right answer, yes. giving good enough answers. Yes, 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 of course. But but of course, the point of machine learning, or what you'll hopefully learn when you do this course, is that you're not going to build your model, build your algorithm based on a huge amount of data you're going to build it on a small amount of data and then see if it's a good predictor for your bigger data set so machine learning is less about big data now the reality is you want to use a large amount of data ideally and spark allows you to do it which is why it's a good platform but the use case for machine learning means that actually again just repeating this RDDs or the advantage of RDDs, which is that greater control over performance, is just something that is generally not going to be that relevant. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, in a production environment, I suspect you would probably, as I say, implement your algorithm, Mm -hmm. which tends to be a relatively simple, take this figure, add this to it, multiply it by that, simple maths. Mm -hmm. You might well do that with RDDs. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, we talk about RDDs for unstructured you can have an RDD of a data, so of a, of a, a data, an object yes. built in Java, of course. So you can. <clears throat> but you would have to do the work of whatever your raw data was if it was a text to file. Do the You've importing. got to build up the objects yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So whereas with SQL, it will automatically infer the schema from well, the. Well, that's true. And I don't know if you've covered this in the course, but again, something you can do is use. Spark SQL to import your data from its text format mm-hmm. and then do a bit of manipulation to convert that to an RDD very easily. Yes. Uh, and then do your work in RDD format. And I think that might well be the uh, 
the, the, don't the, think we ever bothered doing that on the course, oh, well, but um, yeah, I think it's mentioned as an option. But, yeah. um, well, to be fair, to go from uh, SQL to RDD is, is pretty much one line of code. It's going hmm. the other way is a bit more complicated. Okay. But okay. Uh, but anyway, so the um, so, so RDDs are absolutely not dead. That was the message yeah. we wanted to get out there. And well, I, I just have a. It's just, I mean, it's only a few people complaining that, oh, why have you done <laughs> RDDs first? And you should have, oh, no. Um, I, I can say there's no way I would have, I would never have understood Spark SQL had I not started with RDDs. So. No, and, and actually, if you're going to do this, if you want to say you are proficient and good at this, just not knowing RDDs wouldn't allow yeah. you to sit those boxes. You'd miss so much. Of... But there are... Don't want to be rude to customers who've maybe complained, but <laughs> there are, there is a large sector of our industry that just want to. I'm pragmatic, by the way. I like to get a job done, and I'm yes. not a, I'm not an academic. Um, and maybe it's because of the industry we're in, we're we're trainers. We have to unpick some things that in real life we probably wouldn't have concerned ourselves with. We do need to go a bit deeper. Um, but I I I still think. There's this argument, oh, you don't need to know that, or all that's under the hood, or that doesn't... I mean, we could go all the way back to assembly here, and, you know, should a good programmer know assembly or some assembly language? It's back to that, really. But, the, the, I mean, the, 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 the most obvious example we struggle with, it, or I've struggled with mainly with my courses, is, is the old Spring business. It's happened at least two or three times with Spring, um, most famously with the XML fiasco you know so spring used to just have an xml configuration file format then they moved to what i think is is an even worse format personally i think it's worse but the industry adopted it and then you know we looked completely old-fashioned and out of date because we were still using and it's really frustrating to us as trainers that we know that's irrelevant. We know it's irrelevant, but we can't convince lots of customers that it's irrelevant because you're learning the principles. The syntax that you're using is is rubbish. It doesn't matter what syntax you're using. Yes. It's the, you know, the dependency injection, the where AOP is being used, where are transaction boundaries in a real system. You know, we cover that in great detail on our spring fundamentals course and yet people still say oh that's all dated because you're not using <laughs> so i mean don't, don't get me wrong by now we've added all of all of the java config and we've added those models but um but and and and, and that goes around and around again so we now have spring boot anybody can use spring boot now in what two and a half minutes you're yes. up and running so do you need to know about dependency injection? What a waste of time learning dependency injection and AOP when I can use Spring Boot. And it's that again is, well, yeah, you can use Spring Boot in two and a half minutes, but you hit your first problem and you will, and you don't know what's happening under the hood. You've got to, you've got to call a mechanic who does know. Absolutely. So do you want to be that rubbish developer who's just using APIs? But, but, I mean, I, I've had this uh, similar conversation, actually, about exactly Spring Boot uh, with somebody recently on the phone, one of our customers. And I was saying to him, well, you could start with Spring Boot, but then go yeah, back and study absolutely right. and fill in the gaps. Absolutely. And MVC yeah. as well. Um, yeah, the, you know, we've, we've got a course which, and there was a bit controversial as to whether we did this course, called Java Web Development Under Hood. How to build websites in Java with no frameworks. Yes. And we, one of the places we put this course is on Udemy, right? 
And on Udemy, it doesn't have the world's greatest viewing figures, but it's interesting that the comments on there are saying things like, wow, this is really filled in the gaps in my mm. knowledge. Thank you. Mm. And yeah, the purpose for that course, our thingy behind it, was that if you're using Spring Boot or Struts or any of these frameworks and things start to go wrong and you can't work out why, mm -hmm. actually understanding what's really going on with servlets and JSP and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. really can help you figure out the right way around it. It's on virtual pair programs as well. Of course it is. Yeah, as yeah. Java web development, it just has a slightly different name that's Sorry, for, yes. a, for a different audience. But you know, don't, no one's no. missing out there. But Absolutely. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And um, it... it it's. I mean, I would like to think that most of our customers get that. You know, we want the we want the background, we want the detail. And, yes. Um, but it's just frustrating when some when it, the day you release a course, the first comment you get is, <laughs> "Why have you done that? You should have done this because this is what we're using on my project." And uh, and I don't want them as customers. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. We need the money. I don't, no, and, and I it's don't. interesting that it's very difficult to get a real sense of. The massive breadth of people using this kind of technology in mm. massively different ways. Yeah. And one of the ways we do it is we try whenever we can to go to meetups, meet with people who are doing it, see what they can talk to them, find out what they're doing. And it's through mm. that you get a sense <clears throat> of uh, if you're just in your little side and you think this is how we do stuff, therefore this is the way it is done. Yeah. And anyone who's suggesting something different is they don't know what they're talking about, which I think mm. we, all, we all fit in that. So, you know, we all have those sorts of moments. Um, but there we go. Um, but on, the, but but by the same token, there are there are things we're very weak. For example, on um, modern development with um, JavaScript front ends yes. and REST back ends, we've got very little in the library on that at the minute, and we know that's you know that's the most probably the most common way. Again, there's no figures; we don't know, but it's what people talk about. So that's the most likely way. Relatively few, I think, are doing. Um, servlet based in whatever framework it's more likely to be a JavaScript front end so we're weak on that and we will improve that we'll get yes. there um, it, it's just this this to-do list is is quite, it's quite twisted isn't it but it um, is. definitely uh, we, we will bridge that gap soon but it's this. It's the it's the people wanting shortcuts that I, I I can't. We can't help people who want a shortcut. Well, that, that's not what we're about. We we, we were actually just chatting over coffee about that. One of the things that makes us different. So we, you know, there are competitors out there. Let's be honest. And you will find some of our courses on other sites, not just our own, um, where we are therefore competing much more directly with some of our competitors. But what? we hope makes us stand out is that we go deeper we we explain things better we mm. we cover a lot more of the fundamentals so we're not just giving you the quick win we don't try and do a show and tell mm -hmm. um and that's what you know that's what people are buying when they buy from us right is that much greater in-depth knowledge which hopefully means you come away with much more confidence that you can do this with a greater level of efficiency. Yeah. That's what we're about as a company. It's what training's about, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's it's what it should be about. Um, the, the fact that there are now these platforms, I've mentioned one already, Udemy, where there are hundreds of people out there and anyone can tomorrow put a training course on Udemy mm -hmm. and... You know, what, what the platform people check is the quality of your audio and video, not the quality of your content. Now, okay, if you put rubbish out there, you like to get not very good reviews quite quickly mm -hmm. and you won't make any money. Yeah. But 
training has this, or we have developed a whole process of learning and reviewing what we need to teach in such depth, hopefully, mm. that we can focus on. These are things that make a difference. Sure, yeah. So I, I had quite a rant about that this morning. I'm pleased with the course so, so far, yeah. looking forward to the machine learning bit. And um, we've not really, we've kind of forgot about streaming. So I think I might go away and, and do a bit on streaming. Um, so yeah. I, I think if nothing else, I keep saying this, but if you if you want to... Even if you're not doing data science or data processing, I think Spark is a fascinating library to work with. It's not really a library, is it? Framework to work with. Um, if only to get some practice at doing functional style Java, which is still a bit unusual. You do a lot of lambdas on this course, even on the second module. Yes. It's less lambda-ish, but there's still plenty of lambdas in there. And I found that, uh, you know, when we work in other languages, we don't, worry too much you know it's natural and easy but somehow to me it still feels a bit awkward in java but actually it's a pleasure to do it it's great to see java right up there with the scholars and pythons and, and being expressive and clean and I, I i love it so if we've if we've kind of like alienated any anyone who's just on the podcast for java we should rename the podcast really because we never talk about java do we well so, it's all things java related let's have the word related at the end yeah but, um but I, no, I agree with you. And actually, you know, any good developer needs to be able to put something about big data on their CV. And this is the way, one of the ways to do it if you're working with, you know, if you've had some experience of Spark, at least it means that if you're ever talking to people and you want to, you can talk with some confidence, right? right? Because you get one of the challenges around manipulating and working with big data. Mm. And actually one of the ways to do it, so it's not that difficult as a programmer to do. One of the beautiful things about Spark, which Hadoop doesn't do, is it lets you forget about the size of the data most of the time mm. and concentrate on the uh, programming. Mm. And Karen, as you did in a you did a seminar on this, um, it doesn't have to be big data particularly. We mean multi-terabyte data, yes. when we're talking big data, but um, it's a multi-threaded execution framework and you can run it on a local... It wouldn't be a local desktop, but you can run it on a single JVM w without a cluster and you're going to get the benefits of true, you know, if you've got four cores or whatever, it will it will distribute a load across that. So you could be working with just like a gigabyte or something. Yes. And, you know, do you want to sit there doing threading? No. So it's a, it's a great framework for that as well. Well, also, I mean, if, if performance is not your critical uh, requirement... Actually, it's a very easy programming environment. Right. So if you've got to do some yeah. quite complex manipulations on data, yeah. it's a much quicker and easier way to write it and maintain it than, well, I mean, what, what would your alternative be? It would be writing SQL statements or writing uh, Java, underlying Java. That's another great use case. And if you were writing think. SQL statements, you'd have to have it in a database. You might have a, a flat file that you're wanting to well, put stuff on and, and so to load it into Sparks. Spark is, I mean, I have to, even though I've done the course, and it's not really my, I'm more of a middle tier type person with a slight leaning towards front end as well for some reason. But it wouldn't normally be my field, but there's a lot to, there's a lot to enjoy in Spark. Yes. So um, even if you only do the course for the performance chapters, I think they're, I think they're market leading the, the performance I chapters. It's great to... Well, I've said, when you say market leading, I I've not seen anybody else covering that kind of material anywhere. It, it is the market, I think. Oh, so. there will be now, though. Once oh, they're copying out. I don't want to watch it. 
No, so. it's um, so yeah. It's uh, we, we it's, it's fine. It's all been spark, I suppose. I'm yes. gonna go off and do some material on Istio next. That's my is, big thing. Istio, what's Istio? Istio is a um, framework that adds on top of Kubernetes for better monitoring, in particular things like tracing. So, if you build complex microservice architecture and something is going wrong, real difficulty there is. Where is it going wrong? Because, you know, you could have a request coming in that then bounces through 170 different microservices and something along the way is failing. How on earth do you... So it's got things like tracing in. So you can watch a request and see exactly where it's gone across the entire system with timings and it just... It just tickles my geek Lovely. radar. So, but it's a small subject, so it's going to be might be an hour module or something. Okay. I always say that, and then it turns <laughs> into a fifty-five okay. hour masterpiece. So, so we should look for streaming first, and then that from you. Streaming and Istio. Well, I'm juggling the two. Yes. I don't know. I'm going to do one or the no. other in which order. I mean, I am currently going to be finishing the machine learning. That's going to be definitely my next one. Yeah. And then I am planning, and I feel brave saying this because this is going to be months of work, I'm sure. I'm planning a course on yes. Java performance. Yes. Um, whether that will be troubleshooting performance issues in your applications or whether it will be more from the point of view of thinking about... Well, I think there's going to be a few aspects to it. One will certainly be about JVM tuning mm -hmm. and when to be thinking about it and what kind of options are out there. Yep. There'll be something around the tools that you get with uh, certainly OpenJDK, possibly the extras that you get with the Oracle JVM around monitoring and understanding mm -hmm. application performance. Um, and I'm hoping, and this is the more challenging bit maybe, is something around coding changes and how they affect performance as well so uh, i'm thinking about that at the moment that i'm hoping is going to be my next biggie but it will be a biggie so it's going to be months away yet i'm afraid that's, that's uh, a tough one to do i i would be terrified taking on that but if you if it's if it's right if it turns out well it will be a an absolute smash hit it will be a runaway performer. I, I'm doing it on the back of the fact that one of our best performing courses, so from the virtual web programmers side, this is actually a part of our Java Advanced Topics course, and it's the whole section of memory management. Mm -hmm. And we've released that uh, as a standalone, just the memory management part on a couple of other platforms where it does very well for us. Mm. Um, and there clearly is a, a desire for more of that kind of thing. So this will be effectively a follow-on to that. It yes. will be uh, going further. Memory management is not quite the right word phrase. It should have been called how memory works in Java, yeah. really, shouldn't it? But, yes, um, it's certainly a sloppy title. But, but that getting into the depths of the JVM and how you can make changes to uh, benefit from the optimizations the JVM can do uh, is a big topic. It's a difficult topic, but I'm hoping to make that my next big one. It's one that people seem to get very excited about. And I wonder if maybe it's because people, I think you were touching on this this morning, that people think they're missing out on something. Am I using the wrong garbage collector? Everyone runs with the defaults. And I wonder I wonder if a lot of it is necessary and that, that will be the end result of the course, I guess, saying where should you be focusing your efforts? It might be that you don't need to ever change any it, defaults. It might be, but I think that, you know, there will be, I mean, I have never thought about in a production environment 
should I be, what should I be setting my heap size to? Yeah. And just as a really simple example, I look after a server at the moment that has two JVMs running on it. I have never done any kind of setting JVM flags. And yet I know, this is a precursor, so it will hopefully be in a bit more detail in the course, that when garbage collection runs, it will attempt to use every bit of processing power it can on your machine for the shortest time possible. That's what job, job garbage collection is set up to do. Well, if you have two JVMs on the same machine, what happens? So again, you know, that's the kind of thing you want to be just putting a little flag on to say, never use more than 50% of the resources, for example. Mm-hmm. Little thing, but it's the kind of thing, I've never thought about it. I've got this server live, never even worried about it. If I had five JVMs, that might well cause an issue. So now these, to be fair, are actually websites that have very low usage. I'm not concerned. But these are the kind of things that are worth understanding. So um, that's a sort of flavour of the kind of thing I guess we'll be going into. But um, don't hold your breath for that one. It will be a little while off, I'm afraid. Mm, Good luck with it. Thank you. Well, I might be coming for some help from you, Richard. So I'm not sure. I'm just looking at your stack of books that you've, you've been working through. Yes, a oh, scary uh, pile. I didn't purposely leave those out. Obviously, when, when we do courses like this, we go and buy every book we can possibly find yeah. and start researching. Uh, Don't topics, read them, but... of course. <laughs> <laughs> those but these books you know, look pristine. I, They've never confess, been opened. <laughs> the biggest one I took with me on holiday, and I sat by the pool, and I found I slept more this holiday <laughs> than I have ever done before. It's yeah. been brilliant. So, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, there we go. So that's what we've been up to. Um, that's what's hopefully coming up in the next few weeks and months. Well, as always, Matthew, speaking to you has cheered me up no end. I came in <laughs> this morning in such a mood and now I'm cheerful and joyful and I'm going to carry that through the rest of my day. Well, there we go. <laughs> I, I just want to sort of say that we've got, um, we've mentioned Udemy. We also have courses now live on a couple of other platforms out there, which means I'm sure we'll be getting people listening to this podcast for the first time uh, who aren't our traditional virtual programmers customers. So welcome to you guys if you're listening for the first time. Wow. And if you have any thoughts or questions, go through the allthingsjava.io website. And I'm pretty sure there's a contact link on there where you can send us any thoughts and feedback which Matthew loves always, feedback we he, he knows Matthew adores feedback <laughs> he, he, any kind of feedback doesn't matter if it's negative that's in fact even more welcomed is negative feedback for Matthew well on that positive <laughs> thought thank you and I think we should probably leave today for there yes um, see you next time see you next time thank you for listening <laughs>